You are listening to the IMN podcast produced by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion. We've asked members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to share how their lives have been blessed by living the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the Savior's request, come follow me, they have all responded, I am in. As the eldest of five children, Dr. Nathan Meeker was raised in several countries throughout the world in an Air Force family. As an undergraduate, he attended Brigham Young University, where he received a bachelor's degree in molecular genetics. Afterwards, he remained in Provo as a PhD student in immunogenetics. Dr. Meeker obtained his medical degree from the University of Illinois, completed a residency in pediatrics at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and finished his training as a fellow in pediatric hematology and oncology at Primary Children's Medical Center at the University of Utah. Nate remained on a faculty at the University of Utah as a physician with the bone marrow transplant team for two years. He then took a position at St. Luke's Children's Hospital in Boise, Idaho in 2010. Dr. Meeker volunteers with several of the local organizations that support childhood cancer. He currently serves on the board of directors for Camp Rainbow Gold. Nate and Aaron are the parents of six children. This is Michelle Burke, and you are listening to the I Am In podcast. Thank you. Um, it's good to be here. Uh, I, I have to admit, it's preparing for this was a little bit intimidating, uh, seeing the lineup of all the incredible people that have been here before. And uh, my, uh, my thought was, well, what can I really offer? And I, I, my prayer today is really that I can um, offer something that is of use to you all. Um, before I get started, I, I want to also say sort of thanks to uh, Michelle. Um, uh, we've known each other for a long time now. She said not to mention how many years it's been, but it's been a while. And uh, um, uh, I, knowing her, and I'm sure I'm sure you will agree, you're just really fortunate to have her. Uh, such such a great devotion and love, um, you know, for for you all. And she always exhibits that as she cajoles me to these sorts of things. <laughs> um, so let's sort of jump into the story. I'm, I'm going to do a lot of things sort of back to front. I'm going to start with, uh, with sort of where I am now and then work backwards. And um, uh, this is probably the biggest part of my journey, right? The most important thing that we can do here in, in this life is to, to find a partner to walk that journey with us and to... Uh, to lock him or her down and and uh, and do that in the temple, and that's certainly what I was able to do. And in fact, Aaron and I were just uh, able this year to celebrate 25 years of marriage. Although um, I'm sure, and Aaron's here with us today, and I'm sure she just, when I said celebrate, uh, remembered that I went snowboarding that night. <laughs> so we have yet to celebrate, um, but she has been um, such a good partner to walk this path with me. We also have um, uh, six children. Um, each each one of these children um, really came to us through miraculous ways, and I won't go through a lot of those details with you, but uh, we've been so fortunate um, uh, to have each one of them. And I, I will talk a little bit about uh, about especially the oldest, um, who is on the Zoom call with us. Uh, she's a, a student at Utah State now. 
Um, I am, a, as was mentioned, a pediatric oncologist, so I take care of the cancer kids here in the Valley. Um, it is, uh, it's, it's an incredible privilege. I, I can't imagine a job that could be any better for me. Um, I love it. I love um, having a front row seat to, to witness these children and families as they um, as they um, deal with just amazing things, right? Uh, things that are beyond what any of us would ever want to have to go through. And um, that changed my, changes my life every day, really, and, and gives me a, a, an incredible perspective um, on, on how to live life to the fullest. So as was mentioned, this was an opportunity I had when I came here based on the training. We're going to talk about that journey that got me to this point. Um, but uh, I was able to, to bring the bone marrow transplant program here and, and set that up with the help of a, a huge team of people. And we did the very first transplant. And in this, you can see, uh, see that patient. So this was coverage of that particular event, a uh, little boy by the name of Tate. Um, and the, uh, the family was just so, um, such a good family for us to have the first and, and, and sort of off topic, he, um, he had a complication that is incredibly rare. So our very first patient here for transplant uh, very nearly died. And we had some, um, some very uh, choice experiences through that. He fortunately survived. And uh, this is a picture of the latest rebranding of St. Luke's Cancer Institute where they used him. And you can see why they used him. <laughs> and doing fantastic now several years um, out from transplant. Um, as, as was also mentioned, um, I, I have lots of opportunities being in this community of pediatric cancer to, to be involved with lots of uh, community organizations, and uh, Camp Rainbow Gold is one of them. I'm not going to talk a lot in my presentation about that, but if you have questions, I'm happy to, to go over that. Um, you're, you'll actually have someone uh, next week, Lonnie, who is also intimately involved with this organization and probably has more to say about it than I do um, in, a, in, a, in a better way. But um, I, I love it. I love being with them at camp. I've now been with them for 10 years, involved with it, and I'm on the board. Um, and this is a picture of, uh, of my family actually getting to attend with me and, uh, and go through some of the famous songs that I've been known for. Um, <laughs> which I don't think are appropriate for this room. You didn't bring video? <laughs> there is online, yes. I, I could actually probably show you a video from this. All right, this is the family I grew up in. So now we're going to jump back about my journey and how it worked out, right? So this, this is the family I grew up in. My father uh, was, was in the Air Force. Uh, I lived in the Philippines, the Azores. I did most of my high school in England. We moved about every two to three years. And uh, everybody always asked me, how was that? And I don't, I don't know because I don't know how it was to be in the same place for the whole, your whole life. Um, what I kind of think is that that experience helped me to really make friends quickly, right? So I can jump into a new situation because I had to every two years and completely make new friends. So I'm good at that, but I'm also really bad. Or I hope I'm getting better. Maybe, maybe Aaron can comment on this. hope I'm getting better at having really intimate relationships because I never had that. I never had that long-term relationship except with, with my family. So um, so that was us growing up. Um, I put this picture, we're going to get to the unfortunate circumstances and get those out of the way right away because in this picture you can't tell um, these smiles are all somewhat forced because uh, my, my mother died two days later and um, So 
she had she had had leukemia for about two years. She'd actually gone through a transplant, and I'll talk a lot about how that influenced me, and um, and had done pretty well through it. It was hard on her, but she had done pretty well. And then, unfortunately, about a year later, it came back. She made the decision that there was nothing more to do. She wanted to die with her full head of hair, and so she came home. She'd been home for about a week. We had a, an incredible time together. I promise I won't do that the whole time. Um, and and then she died, and uh, and we had to deal with that. And I'll tell you how that um, changed my life. Um, but let's get the next unfortunate circumstance out of the way. So about four years later, my um, my father had was this was the day before Thanksgiving. He was traveling to BYU to pick up uh, my siblings and bring them back home from BYU. And uh, on the way home, they were trying to find a faster path. They got off the freeway, and uh, there was an accident that ended up uh, taking the lives of my father, my brother, and my sister. And um, and so we ended up with a trifold um, funeral announcement. Um, I kind of when when I see this, I kind of remember. Uh, being in the funeral home with my grandmother and she really was trying to sell them on the frequent dyer program. She wanted to get us that, uh, that discount. And um, it turns out that apparently getting, um, getting three hearses together all at the same time is, is more trouble than, than just doing single. So we weren't able to get that discount. But we did learn a lot from this experience and I'll, I want to sort of go over that with you. I know that um, based on feedback from uh, from previous talks, you don't want to have a lot of lessons, but I am going to give you a couple lessons here and there, and we'll sort of go over those now. Um, and the first is that uh, that this is one of my main caveats. I'm going to start with this, and I'll actually finish with this, right? So in in um, Second Nephi, this is Father Lehi talking to Jacob, and he's talking about these these things that occur in the world and why they occur and how they help us, right? And um, and this is one of the in most important lines there, it's that Adam fell that men might might be, but men really are that they might have joy. And I, I my my feeling is that's not just after this life; it's in this life and every part of this life. And then if you look at um, you go just a couple of verses before, and what it says is the only way that you can have joy is to have misery. And the reason that is, is because everything that we experience here in this life as a human is by contrast, right? So let's say uh, you've only your whole life ever eaten ice cream, vanilla ice cream. It's not great because you've never compared it to anything else. It's the best thing and the worst thing you've ever had. And so everything that we enjoy in life is good because it's better than something else. And the more it's better than that something else, the more we enjoy it. Does that make sense? So those contrasts have to happen. Heavenly Father and his amazing wisdom set up this place that allows pretty bad things to happen. And that has to happen so that we can experience a fullness of joy. Truly believe that. And I'll get to sort of that at the very end in this story that my wife sort of makes fun of me, but we'll get to that. Um, also, Joseph Smith, right? So at the end of near the end of his life in Liberty Jail, he's suffering. He's like, why? Why do I have to suffer? And there's this amazingly poetic uh, verse that comes to us in, in Doctrine and Covenants uh, that, you know, hey, 
There's lots of bad things that can happen to you. And he goes through this big list, right? You can be condemned to death. Even the jaws of hell can come for you. But all those things will be for your good. So what you'll see is that these experiences absolutely changed my life, right? And so much so that I'm not sure that um, I, I would have the career I have now or the wife I have now had they not have occurred, and we'll go over that. Um, but in a more general sense, I, I expect that, well, I hope, and I, I truly believe that as a, as a pediatric oncologist, these experiences give me a certain degree of empathy when I'm in the room and dealing with, um, dealing with um, situations that are really hard for any of us to imagine, right? Even me, I, it's hard for me to imagine facing the loss of a child, um, but at least I have some sense of what it's like to lose a family member, and that's, that's a gift. Now, now I'm not going to get into all the ifs, ands, and buts about why these things happen. Uh, my personal thought is that I really feel like it's just been set up to have this randomness, right, here on Earth. There are things that happen um, in, in bad ways, but... Um, but regardless, what we do with those is what's really important, right? Okay, so let's jump into that. Got all that out of the way. We did pretty well. Okay, so let's get to the most important decision that any of us can make, right? So I, I made the right one. I hope you do too. Um, I'm going to start with the end of the story. I think this might have been in your home, Michelle. I can't remember. But several years after we were married, we were sitting in a, in a, a group party, and the topic came up, hey, when did you know that your spouse was the right one for you or it was right for you or whatever the right term is. And people started going around the room and they were saying sort of experiences while they were dating. And it got to me and I said, well, gosh, the honest truth is about three months after we were married, I was in the celestial room and I had a witness that I made the right choice. And, and I can really strongly remember that. And it's carried me through lots of times uh, when I really needed that. But it's a little bit weird, right? I mean, I had my confirmation after we were married. So let's go through that. Now, here's where we're going to get into a lot of, a lot of uh, sort of lessons before I get to the story. I feel like I have to because I have to give you the idea of how this all worked for me, okay? So you guys are, you guys are here in what's called the decade of decisions. You'll never again in your lives have so many decisions you have to make in such a short period of time that will affect so much, right? You're going to go down these paths and they're going to take you to places that are going to change everything about your life. And that is so stressful. You guys are so stressed. I remember being there. Um, so how do we deal with that, right? Well, it's set up that way because we came here to earth to learn how to make these really difficult decisions. That's something we have to do. We have to make decisions, and sometimes they're really big ones. And sometimes we have to make them just with our own faculties, just with our own experiences, just with what we can figure out on our own. Um, and that's important because that's a gift that was given to us at high price, this gift of free agency, right? This is a quote from David O. McKay, next to the bestowal of life itself, the right to direct that life is God's greatest gift to man. This is, this is now from a talk, uh, really, I think a seminal talk uh, called Inspiration. What's it? Inspiration or Agency. It might be the other way around. Agency or Inspiration. And, um, and 
It's such a good talk. You should probably go back and read it. Um, I, I was looking for a quote. The, this quote that we're going to get to guided me through this whole, my whole life. I could not find it. I spent probably, Aaron will vouch for this, I spent probably 10 hours trying to find the quote. I think it sort of predated uh, internet enough that it, it's just not going to be found. So I'm trying to get to a tissue. <laughs> There's one in my back pocket. Um, but I found one that is so close that's going to that's gonna work. Um, but let's start with this first. So in this seminal talk, he says, and so we're faced with two propositions. One is that we ought to be guided by the spirit of inspiration, the spirit of revelation. The other is that we're here under a direction to use our agency, right, our own choice, to determine what we ought to do on our own. And we need to strike a fine balance between these two, right? And so this gets me to the real crux. This is how my whole life is guided. When we're, when we're faced with these decisions, we need to do all we, all we can, right? That's, that's really the latest study in Come Follow Me, right, is, is, uh, is uh, Oliver Cowdery's failure to translate, right? You need to do all you can to make your decision based on what you have and what you know. And then you take it to the Lord for his confirmation, right? And Elder Scott says that there are different answers you can get. You can get a confirmation, right? Hey, this is the right path to go. You can get, ah, it's not a good idea. That's not the right path to go. Or he says you can also get no answer. And he says when you get no answer, that's a great sign because Heavenly Father trusts you. He trusts you to make your decision. That's a little scary, though, when you're making these big decisions, right? So here it is. Here's, here's the, the quote that's not the original quote, but the quote that I live my life by, right? When you are living righteously and are acting with trust, those two things, right? God will not let you proceed too far without a warning impression if you have made the wrong decision. This is how I live my life. I... I follow the spirit, and I, I almost call it a gut feeling as I'm making my choices, and I take them to the Lord. And sometimes I don't have an answer. I follow my gut, but I don't have a full answer. And I proceed with trust because I know that God will stop me if it's the wrong way to go. Does that make sense? All right, so back to, back to uh, getting, getting married. So um, I was getting old in BYU or in BYU years, is that right? So I was like, I think 25, maybe 26. And I started worrying that maybe I needed to get more serious about getting married. I had been a member of the BYU dance team before, but I had left so I could really focus on my studies. And I had the impression that I needed to go back to it. So I went back to uh, the BYU dance team. Um, I won't go over the details. I, I had to try out for summer team. I tried out terribly because it had been too long. I was breaking on one instead of two. I got put on the worst possible team. And then through these, these what I consider to be miraculous circumstances, I worked my way all the way up by the end of that year to the backup tour team. And then something that's never happened before, never happened, it will happen again, happened, uh, or at least hasn't happened since, uh, a wealthy Chinese man came, or a man from China came, and... Um, and say, hey, I want to take the ballroom dance team on a tour of China and do it as a business. And uh, the actual tour team was already booked up. So what they did was they took the backup tour team, of which I was a member, and they combined it with the Cougarettes and together uh, made, uh, made a team to travel to China to tour. And so that 
circumstance brought Aaron and I together. And uh, here's some pictures from tour. We spent six weeks touring China and doing shows, and it was an amazing experience. And as you can tell from maybe that top upper corner, it was a great ratio of boys to girls. <laughs> um, it's sort of like the original PG version of The Bachelor. I was so, I hit the jackpot, right? I, here I am trying to figure out how I'm going to get married. And, um, and we go on this trip, and things start to happen. Every time we get on a plane or a bus, or the only seat left open is by this girl. All right, so I, I sit there, and we start talking, and um, the only room that, or the, our rooms would be assigned next to each other, or our, sometimes we had like overnight, overnight train rides, and our bunks would be adjacent, and it was just kind of weird. I, I told people after we were married for about a year that it really seemed faded that we would get married, and finally, uh, during one of these tellings, my wife reached over and touched my hand and said, Nate, I did all that. <laughs> I believe and it. She did. <laughs> but through those six weeks, we really got to know each other. And there was one particular night, um, and this goes back to to my mother's death. I had I had met with a with a um, a counselor for a couple of visits, just a grief counselor. And one of the things that had come from that was, hey, I have a really hard time having these intimate relationships, sharing my feelings. And she said, well, you know what? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a, a legacy from your mom that when you do find that person that you can share those feelings with, that'll, that'll be assigned to you. And sure enough, uh, again, one, one of these long train, train rides and the only seat available was next to, next to Aaron. Um, I had that um, ability to sit and really open up with this person. And um, there were other things, too, that happened, but they, it really started to tell me that, hey, this might be something I really need to consider. And in fact, by the time we left, um, after that six weeks, we were already, when we were, like, shopping for, uh, shopping for items, we'd be like, well, let's not both get one. We don't both need one in the house. And we hadn't really talked about getting married, but we were saying crazy things like that. And um, all right, so then we get home. And we really start working towards a, a wedding. And when I say we, I mean her. Right? <laughs> she tricked me into getting married. Um, and she had to because I was terrified of, of making this decision. Just like many of you making these big decisions, I was terrified. How, how can you do this? And, um, and so what she did is, is she said, hey, if we were to get married, you got to get the temple scheduled. Why don't we just let's choose a day? Because if we if we don't have to do it that day, but let's just choose that day and just get it on the schedule just in case. And then she said, Oh, and, and the, the centers are gonna run out. We've got it, you know, for our reception, just put it on there just in case. We get uh, we get married. And so sure enough, time flew by, and I realized. Oh boy, we're getting pretty close. Better propose. <laughs> and then we got there. Now, I made light of this, but back to that mantra, the only way I was getting through all this was I believed 
I was living the gospel, right? I was doing what I should do. Now, being righteous doesn't mean being perfect. It just means doing what you did your best to try to do it and repenting a lot, right? I did a lot of repenting. I felt like I was living the gospel, and I trusted God. I trusted him that he would stop me. Those are the two keys, right? Live the gospel, trust, and then he will stop you. And that's the only way I got through it. And truly, here, here's our, day, our wedding day. It snuck up on me so fast. We, I don't know if you know how this works, but you, you get all dressed up, and then you go and you wait in the celestial room while the guests all assemble, and then they march you in, right, when everyone's all assembled. So we were in the celestial room, and there were other couples sort of gathered around, and it's this beautiful, sacred, reverent place, and I was freaking out. I was freaking out. Now, you may say, is that God's sign to stop you? No, I, I felt there was a peace about it. I, I hadn't received that stoppage, but I was also freaking out about getting married. It just was such a big choice, so much so that I thought I might throw up. And the only way that I was not throwing up was having to belch. So here I am in the celestial room, belching. I feel bad for the other couples that were there. It was probably a ruination of their day. And we were just sitting there giggling about it. Um, but that's how it went. And then we had an amazing wedding and we've since had an amazing life together. So... That's how I got through it. All right, one more example of that. So now, um, again, from the end of uh, the story to the uh, working back towards the beginning, this is us on the day we took our oldest home. This is Tess. She's on, she, maybe she still is on, on the thing with us. And um, gosh, one of the greatest days of my life. Now, she was adopted. And, um, uh, you know, Aaron sort of got the treatment of, of as if she had given birth, but weaving her out. Um, you know, the moment I held Tess for the first time changed my life. It, holding, you know, holding a child and knowing that you're responsible for it and for that person and having love like you've never felt before. It was unbelievable. What a great moment. But it came through a lot of hard times. And um, I won't go through all the details. Obviously, infertility is a, is a, is a, tough, a tough road to go through for anyone that has to go through it. But we had gotten through most of it, and we finally... Come, uh, come to terms with it. Adoption was the right path for us, and we started working with. Um, we started working with. Uh, oh shoot, that's not yet. So we started working with um, uh, LDS Family Services, and lo and behold, we actually had done a round of infer uh, infertility treatments, and lo and behold, we got selected, and that young lady was due at exactly the same time that we would have been due had we have had it had worked out, and and. Uh, and we felt like that was a, a sign to us. We went and met with the counselor who told us about being selected, sort of walked us through who this birth mother was. And we came home totally elated. We, I have a video of you know, Aaron getting the phone call and, and just how great that was, right? And we're just living on cloud nine, and then we get a phone call that night from, uh, from the LDS Family Services counselor, and he says, guys, I messed up. You guys were actually chosen by another birth mother. I just hadn't got the message yet. And it was kind of in front of the one that I told you about. And there's another birth mother that also has chosen me. All right, so three, three birth mothers have chosen you. What he says is, I feel really bad. I didn't want to bring this to you, but... If I had done my job properly, I would have brought the first one to you. And um, 
And he said, so I need you guys to choose. I need you to choose, and I need to know by tomorrow morning. And so, all of a sudden, all of that joy and excitement was now boiled down to, what, we have to choose our forever child? There's some unprocessed feelings, apparently. Um, In one night, well, that was a hard, hard night for us. And it got harder and harder, and finally... Um, we came to the conclusion that I, I should give Erin a blessing, and I did. She was she was struggling with it, as you would imagine. I don't remember the words of the blessing, but what I do remember is that it brought us back to that, that mantra. If you are living righteously and you're trusting in God, he will not let you make the wrong decision. And so, once again, we went with our gut. We went with uh, the, the birth mother who, had, who we, had, um, we had already become familiar with. And we made that decision. And boy, uh, everything in that moment, everything just went away. That, that trust took it all away. Um, and uh, there's no question. I mean, there's clearly been confirmation that, that she was supposed to be, uh, this was supposed to be her family, and we love her so much. All right, all right, yeah. Now, so we've done, we've done a wedding, we've done kids. Now we're going to go to a career. Um, the last five minutes or so. Here is a trip to, to Thailand, and um, my wife surprised uh, me with this trip. Um, there's two things. If you look really closely, here I'm, I'm looking very satisfied. So I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty happy. This is because I finally completed all of my training, all of my schooling, all of my training. Now, if you also look really closely, I'm also old. I'm 40 years old when I completed training. So let me walk you through that experience. Um, here, here I sort of laid it out. And uh, I want to make a couple of points with this. I'm going to walk you through the story, and I'll make a couple points. So uh, when I was in high school, I, I thought I wanted to be an architect. I was in an architect class, and I was doing really cool buildings and putting those up. And, um, and uh, had I had, had to have been locked into a career as a senior in high school, I'd be an architect today. And I don't know if that would have made me happy. And I say that because there has been this push with today's generation to make these decisions so early. And you know, now there's these high schools that, that sort of really start getting you trained in the directions you want to go early. And I think that's all fine as long as you don't get locked into that, right? Don't feel that you're locked in. If you feel as you continue through that, that's the right course, great. But if you feel as I did that it's not, and that's what the X is, it's not the right course, then, then change. And so when I started at BYU, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And I took a class um, that was part of the honors program there called Shaping the Modern Mind. And in that class, they taught us about experiments that were going on in gene therapy. And this is years ago, right? I'm, this is 86, right? So way long before you guys. And um, th- this was very, very early experience, experiments, and no one had ever heard of this before, where you go in and change someone's genes and fix them. That was amazing, and that really drew me in, and I went on my mission, and all through my mission, I thought about that. Do I want to do this? And, and I communicated with professors, and ultimately, I said, yeah, I do want to do that, and so when I came back, I changed my major, and I started doing research, and ultimately, I started working in a research lab, and it was fantastic. I was working with animal models and doing uh, immune therapies and actually doing transplants in these, in these, uh, these animal models, and um, and then my mom got sick, and uh, and so 
I had an experience there that changed my life again. And what that experience was, was as my mom was going through the transplant, it was incredibly hard and things weren't going well. And there were two doctors who would take care of us. And one doctor would come in the room and it was his style. I don't blame him for it, but it taught me something. He came in the room and he would sort of just say, ah, this is how it's going. It's not going great. You know, you might want to prepare. And uh, after he would leave the room, it would, we would be devastated. And it would carry over into every aspect of our lives. It would really change our lives. And this other doctor would come in and she wouldn't pull punches. She would still be very honest with us, but she was so caring and compassionate. And it also changed our lives. It lifted us and made us feel, feel like there was hope, there was possibility. And it percolated into every aspect of my life. And I had never thought that a doctor could do that, that he could affect lives in that manner. I thought, you know, just diagnosis and prescribes. That's what they do. And I wanted to know if I could do that. And it moved me to really start thinking about that. And there were some other experiences that ultimately told me, you know what? I need to add medicine to this whole thing. And so I did. So there's this cool thing where you can do medicine and research. I uh, switched uh, over to the University of Illinois. Um, my mentor, who was doing, I was doing research with, actually moved with me. It gave me a op great opportunity to do medicine there. And I loved every moment of medicine. It was so fantastic. Um, even, even in residency, when, uh, when I was working 120 hours a week some weeks, this is before they put the eight-hour work week in, 120 hours a week, I still loved it. It was fantastic. I'd come home from work, and I only had a few hours to get some sleep, so I would just lay on the, on the, the living room floor and let my daughter crawl over me. That was our interaction. <laughs> she, she thought I probably was a dead person. I don't know. <laughs> her father was. But I loved every bit of that. Uh, and, then, and then I got into my fellowship and all this was still combining research with medicine. And as I went through that, I started to get the feel that, you know what, I love medicine so much. Should research be a part of this? And ultimately, without boring you the details, I made the decision to cut research out. And it took me a while. I had to, I had to do two additional years to really make that last decision. But those two years or when I did the training in bone marrow transplant. Every step of this way was following that gut instinct, right? Which I call the spirit, call, call. That's how, I, that's how I feel it. I feel peace. I feel like this is the right way to go or I don't. And I was guided every step of that way to get to where I ultimately made a decision to drop off the research part and concentrate on pediatric oncology. What I want really for you to focus on here is this is not a straight line. I went all over the map trying to figure things out. But I loved every bit of it. it, it I, what I want you to know is that you can enjoy the journey no matter what. Just enjoy every bit of it. And I did. It's not, it's not about a destination. It's not about getting to a certain point before you can be happy. You can be happy every step of the way. And in addition to free agency and the importance of learning how to make these big decisions, it's also important for us to figure out who we are, right? So being able to make these decisions, sometimes make them wrong, sometimes make them right, teaches us about ourselves. And that's really what life's all about. So embrace that. Okay. All right. Um, this, this is a quote uh, that I found. It's just someone, um, it's on the church site, but it's someone just blogging. And I'll go ahead and read it. I think it encapsulates what I want to say, and then I'll go to the thing that my wife makes fun of me about. Um, 
This is that blogger. I'm learning that God is much less a divine dictator who demands perfect compliance to a predetermined plan for our individual lives and much more a co-creator with us of the kind of lives we want to live. Through multiple impressions, God keeps telling me that this time in my life is a period of joyful discovery. Emphasis on the joyful, right? So if, if you take anything home from today, just, just know that, that that's what life's about and that making these decisions is not the end of the world because God has given us a promise. He's given us a promise. Just live the gospel, trust him, and he'll keep you safe. All right, here we go. This is the, this is the end. Um, I, for years and years, have talked about my easy uh, flow chart to happiness and how I need to publish this in the book, and Aaron laughs about, about it every time. So you guys can tell me if, if it's something I should try to work towards. Here's my easy flow chart, right? <laughs> this is the debut right here. This is the debut. I finally put it together in something that makes sense. Um, you'll, I don't know if I can make a book out of it, but we'll see. All right, so you're faced with a task. It's just anything in life, anything that you have to do, right? You're faced with that task. All right. So the first question is, what does it say? Will it, will it be fun? Is it something I'm going to enjoy doing? And if it will, hooray! <laughs> it's, it's happiness, right? Now, it's not always going to be fun. There's going to be things that, that, that are for faced with that aren't fun. So the next question is, well, if it's not fun, well, is it something that we have to do? And this is a whole chapter in my book, right? Is it something we have to do? Because there are things that we're actually forced to do, but there are also things that we have to do to get us to the next, the next stage in our life, right? Um, and, and you can think of a lot of things that we would have to do. Well, if it's something that we have to do, well, first of all, if it's something that we don't have to do, great, don't do it. We're still happy, right? So don't do it if it's not something you have to do. And that, that's another great lesson, right? Because so many of us do things that we really don't have to do that don't bring us joy. So don't do those things. But if we do have to do them, do them, but can you find joy in that task in some way? Uh, let me give you an example. It's a crazy example. This is why she laughs at me. But um, I, I had to do a summer job where all I did was put bottles on caps for medicine. I would get a tray, working with, uh, I think they're mostly ladies that were weighing out. And, uh, you know, we got to be great friends, but I had to put the bottles on all of their trays. And that's all I did for eight hours a day. Bottles on trays, bottles on trays, bottles on trays. What I did to make it fun was I went through every step of how I did it and made it incredibly efficient. Nobody in the world could be as efficient as I went that. And, and I imagined that as I got done with job that, the job that day, there would be lines of people waiting outside just to learn how did you do it so efficiently? <laughs> you laugh, but that's how I did it. And it made it enjoyable. I also sang songs. I mean, we, we'd sit there. It was a night shift, and we would just sing songs together. And it was a real joyful experience. We had so much fun with it. All right. So if you can find ways to find joy in it, great. We're back to happiness. What if you can't? You can. <laughs> you can. Just try harder. Okay. Um, I will buy your first copy of this book. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I want to close, and then you guys can can uh, can ask, uh, ask questions. I'm certainly open to that. I'd love to talk. 
Um, I just want to bear my testimony. I, this this life is amazing. It uh, it has terrible times. I've been through some really horrible times, but those are there for a purpose to to allow us to have more joy than we could have ever imagined if we really seek for that joy and allow that joy to work in our lives. And if we follow God's direction as we direct our own lives, we will find more happiness than you could ever imagine just by following that that recipe. And I bear testimony to that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.